Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and this is the Monday broadcast. So glad that you're joining us today. Brand new week, brand new opportunities to be a blessing to our world, to our family, to our church, to our community. And so today I want to look at a subject from Romans chapter 11. And the subject is, does God reject people? Now, when we think about this subject, it's a deep subject, and so we're going to cover it from a different angle. But before I go too far, I know sometimes people in my church, uh, they complain about my dad jokes being bad jokes. And so somebody had sent me an article that says that dad jokes actually have a positive effect on development. So here's a bad dad joke I want to give you before I give you the findings of this study. Where did the Apostle Paul, by his mask, for the coronavirus. Where did the Apostle Paul buy his mask for the coronavirus? Well, it was at a shop on the road to Damascus. Okay, that was bad. I know that was really bad, okay? But you know, dad jokes are typically not offensive, wholesome, age-appropriate, but this study shows that when dad jokes are told, and they're bad, it teaches their children how to handle embarrassing and awkward situations. It shows our children that embarrassment is not fatal. And so dad jokes are actually good for your kids. So dads, keep it up, okay? One day they will groan when they hear these bad jokes, but you're actually helping your kids. Well, you know, as I think about the state of the church, a lot of people are so discouraged about the state of the church. And I found some really good news that I want to share with you before I get into the subject of does God reject his people? Or does God reject people? There's a report that was done by Unstuck Church, and it talks about churches connecting with new people. Now, this is brand new from 2023. And uh, what they did is they did a survey with growing churches and non-growing churches. They discovered that churches that were not growing during COVID are, for the most part, still not growing. Matter of fact, many of them did not survive COVID. So that's terrible, and that's heartbreaking, but I'm always interested in what growing churches are doing. Specifically, we see that growing churches are connecting with new people. So they did a survey between January 2022 and January 2023, and they found specifically there was an increase in growing churches. There was a 7% increase of new people. And uh, these churches that were tracking their databases from last year and this year, they've discovered a 7% increase on average. And so churches, for example, that have 1,000 people in their database have now got an extra 71 people in their database over last year. They discovered something else about growing churches. The average in-person attendance over the previous 12 months has actually increased by 22%. So that means growing churches are doing a good job at getting people, not just listening online, but coming to the in-person services. They discovered also that decisions to follow Jesus over the last 12 months in growing churches has increased nearly 34% between this year and last year. The number of people who made decisions to follow Christ by indicating salvation and baptism, is actually a great increase, and they're seeing it over the last 12 months. Now, this is something that, that kind of surprised me, right? Engagement with online services for growing churches, amazingly, is declining. As a matter of fact, it's declining by 
8% from the previous year. Now, that sounds bad, but as I looked at the study, what it shows is that people that attend growing churches on that first occasion will visit them online. And then they will stop visiting them online because they're going in person. So that is actually kind of a good stat, not a bad stat. So churches reported on an average that 10% decrease of people that are watching online with people that are watching consistently online. I thought this was some good information. So good news for the church, right? It's not as bad as we think it is. And as a matter of fact, I found some other information that I thought was really helpful, right? Churches that are growing have a strong emphasis in children's ministry. That's right. They discovered that churches that are growing have in-person attendance of children. That's from birth to fifth grade. They discovered there's a 17% of their overall attendance are under the age of fifth graders. They also found that as they were looking at the attendance ratio of the number of people that were fifth grade and under, what percentage of that population was part of the church? And they found that attendance on growing churches, 25% of the attendance was including people fifth grade and younger. They discovered in growing churches, they're not only good at reaching children, but they're also good at reaching students. That's kids, middle school and high school. And growing churches had 11 students for every 100 people attending their weekly gathering. So if you're listening to me today and you're involved in a church that it's not growing, here's some things that you can do. Be intentional about reaching children. Be intentional about reaching students. You know, I don't consider Hickory Ridge Community Church a large church, probably like a medium-sized church, right? But we have a full-time children's director. And the reason we have a full-time children's director is because I believe you put your money where your mouth is, right? And you put your money into things that you think are really important. So we think that reaching children is very important. As a matter of fact, we took two band loads up to Williamsburg, and our kids competed last weekend in the Awana Olympics in Williamsburg. Had a great weekend. I even saw people get saved at this event. And so today, I want you to be encouraged. Reach children with the gospel. Well, as we think about this subject, does God reject people? I want to give a little background on what we see in Romans chapter 11. I guess we could say at this juncture in church history, the church is experiencing what I would call the perfect storm. Before I go too far, the Andrea Gale left Gloucester Harbor in Massachusetts on September 20th, 1991, and it headed into the North Atlantic. Now, nobody could have known that this fishing boat would never be seen again. Only a bit of debris has ever turned up, and the six crew members vanished forever. In his book, The Perfect Storm, author Sebastian Junger immortalized the fate of the Andrea Gale. And actually, a film followed, but the real star of the book and the movie was the storm itself. It was a terrifying, relentless oppressor born from fierce wind and mountainous waves. As a matter of fact, the meteorologist called it the perfect storm. You see, three deadly elements 
came together in October of 1991. There was a front that was moving from Canada toward New England, a high-pressure system building over Canada's east coast, and the dying remnants of Hurricane Grace turning up the eastern seaboard of the United States. It was strong wind, and strong weather was coming, and they were being hit. This little vessel, the Andrea Gale, was being hit three out of four points on the compass, all converging at the same time right over little Andrea Gale. Well, on their own, warm air, cold air, and moist air are hardly even noticeable. But when wind patterns force them together, the results can be lethal. The last radio transmission was given by Billy Tyne, the captain of the fishing boat. It came in at 6 p.m. on October 28, 1991. He reported his coordinates to the captain of his sister ship, the Hannah Bowden, saying, she's coming on, boys, she's coming on, and she's coming on strong. Well, the book and the movie brought the term perfect storm into common usage. But the concept is as old as humanity. People have always had to deal with the convergence of multiple rough circumstances. Have you noticed that in your life? It doesn't seem like you get hit with one thing. It seems like you get hit with three things. So much can go wrong so quickly that we can shake our heads and we say, well, when it rains, it doesn't just rain, it pours. You see, at the heart of Gloucester, America's oldest seaport, visitors will find an eight-foot-tall bronze fisherman at the wheel of his ship, driving through the storm. When I think about Romans chapter 11, I think about the church driving through a perfect storm. Let me give you a little bit of background. There was a lot of racial tension within the church. You see, the early church was really basically a Jewish formulation. It was basically Jews coming to Christ. But all of a sudden, Gentiles are invited in. And it's getting to the point now where the Gentiles are outnumbering the Jews, and there's some tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. In addition to that, there is false doctrine, fake followers that are incorporating themselves into the church. They're kind of going in there and teaching doctrine that is contrary to the Word of God and is wreaking havoc in the church. So there's racial tension, there's false doctrine, fake followers, and to add insult to injury, there is extensive persecution. Nero is weighing down heavy on the church, and every opportunity that he and others had to bring about persecution, they would do it. As a result of this, Paul and the early church leaders are discovering they have the perfect storm. People are abandoning the church. People are getting caught up in false doctrine. Tensions within members within the body of Christ. Persecution is hitting them from all angles. And as a result, you can understand why Paul begins with this question. Romans chapter 11, verse number one. Did God reject his people? That's what he's asking. Has God rejected his people? So Paul gives us several exhibits to drive home the point that by no means has God forsaken his people. We're going to give you half of those exhibits today, and you have to join me tomorrow to get the second half. But exhibit number one, Paul says, 
God has not rejected his people. I am an Israelite myself. I am a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. You see, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. There's a remnant that is still going strong. You know, the remnant is much more significant than you can ever imagine. I remember when Sherry and I bought our very first home down in Moyoc, right? We bought a house that was a foreclosure and it needed some work. Now, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We had big dreams, but not a whole lot of money. Well, one of the things this home needed was new carpeting. Well, like I said, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we wanted to fix up the place and and make it as nice as we could. So my wife had this great idea. She says, let's go to the carpet store and let's ask them if they have on sale a carpet remnant. That is the end of the roll that often is reduced in price because it's not really big enough to carpet a whole house, but it might be big enough to carpet a room or two. Carpet that is left over from another job is often sold at a greatly reduced price. When you think about remnants, typically in the Bible, a remnant refers to those who are the leftovers. It is most often in reference to the people of Israel and how they had been left over and had they been looked past. Here's an example of a remnant as it refers to a nation. God has not rejected his people. Micah understood this concept. Micah says there is a remnant that God's going to rise up. And he says, the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. So I want you to know, the remnant is more significant than you ever can imagine. Maybe you're feeling it today, like you're a reject, you're a leftover. Do you feel like that God has no plan, no purpose, no agenda for your life? I want you to know, God's not done with you. He has a plan for you. He hasn't rejected you. He foreknew you just as he foreknew Paul. And just as Paul understood that God had a purpose in his life, he's got a purpose for yours as well. Oh, my friends, don't give up. It's always too early to give up. This remnant is much more significant than you can ever imagine. Well, Paul gives us another exhibit. Exhibit one was Paul himself. Exhibit number two is Elijah. Now, there's something else you need to know about the remnant. Uh, Not only is the remnant much more significant than you can imagine, but it's also much more powerful than you can imagine. Now, Paul transitions as he's answering this question, did God reject his people? By no means. Verse number two says, don't you know what scripture has to say? In the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel. This is what Elijah says. You may remember the story, right? Elijah is crying out to the Lord. He says, Lord, uh, they've killed all your prophets. They've torn down all your idols. And I am the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. And what was God's answer to him? I love this. God's answer was, listen, now now hold on there. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at this present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based by works. And if it were, grace would no longer be grace. Now, let me get you the background of this story, just in case you have forgotten it. Elijah goes up against 300 prophets of Baal, 
and he defeats them soundly. And it's just amazing what he does. But then he gets discouraged. He's worked hard, and he gets defeated. Although he could handle 350 prophets of Baal, when Jezebel came up against him and King Ahab came against him, all of a sudden he gets fearful. He cowers down in fear, and he says, look at what they've done. He says, man, I'm the only one out here working. I'm the only one that is left, and now they're coming to kill me. You see, he missed the total fact that God chose him by grace, not because he was so strong, not because of the works that he did. Listen, God's grace is given to us. It's not anything that we have earned. When I was speaking to the young people on Saturday up in Williamsburg, I pulled out of my Bible a $50 bill, and then I pulled out a $100 bill. Now, the $100 bill was a copy. It wasn't real, but the $50 bill was real. And so I explained to these children years ago when I was involved in cash control, back in the day when people used to actually pay cash when they went to restaurants, they would have us study not counterfeit money, but real money. And as you studied real money, when a counterfeit came your way, it stuck out like a sore thumb. You didn't learn a counterfeit by studying counterfeit. You learned a counterfeit by studying the real thing. And so I said, you know, salvation, the real issue of salvation is that you can't earn it. That would be a counterfeit salvation. Trying to work really hard, thinking that God has a scale up in heaven, and on one side, he puts your good works. On the other side, he puts your sins, and you're hoping that your good works outweigh your sins. I'm telling you, you're not going to be saved by your good works outweighing your bad, because even your good works are not that great. As you think about our good works, we are told in Isaiah that our good works are like filthy rags. And so God gives us his grace. And so I held up a $50 bill. I said, now this bill is real. I want to give it to somebody. As a matter of fact, the first person who comes up to grab this $50 bill, it is yours. And so a young guy ran up there and he grabbed that $50 bill right out of my hand and he went back and he sat down. And I went and continued to share the gospel. And then at the end, uh, I said, hey, can I have my $50 back? And this guy was going to give it back to me. I said, no, no, I'm just kidding. I said, you know, when God gives you a gift, a gift is a gift is a gift. He's not going to take it back. Once you are saved, you are secure. Not in my ability to hang on to Jesus, but Jesus' ability to hang on to me. Now, listen, when you think about your salvation, maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're thinking you're small, you're insignificant. You know that little phrase, great things come in small packages. This statement is proven over and over again in the Bible from Abraham, who was one lonely 90-year-old pilgrim, to the orphan slave child Moses, to the shepherd boy David. God's Word teaches us the greatest truth that sometimes God uses the smallest people. Even Jesus was born in a small way. Jesus started out with 12 followers, and even after the resurrection— the church only numbered about 120. Now, historians tell us at that time, the Palestine population was about 4 million people. So that meant that there was only one Christian for every 30,000 people there in Palestine. Now, that would be the equivalent of having a total of 8,000 believers in the United States. Yeah, consider what a great work that was started with just this small ragtag group of 120 followers. 
Now listen, you may feel like you're overwhelmed. Listen, God doesn't care how big you are or how small you are. It's quite possible that you could be too big for God to use, but you can never be too small for him to use you. He wants to use you in a powerful way. Now listen, the value of something never depends on its size. And I love how Solomon writes about in the book of Proverbs. He says, you know, there's four things that we look at. And Solomon says, these are really insignificant things. Yet we can learn a tremendous truth from them. Great things do indeed come in small packages. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 24 to 28 says, there are four things on the earth that are small, yet they are extremely wise. Uh, Number one, ants. Ants, they're creatures that are little strength. You can squish them in your hand. You can step on them with your foot. Yet they store up their food in the summertime. These little creatures know to go around and get a bunch of food in the summertime so they can survive in the winter. And then he uses a second illustration of something that is small but very wise, conies. Now, I'm not talking about the hot dog coney. I'm talking about that little creature that has little power, yet they make their home in the crags. These conies are so unindustrious. They don't dig little burrows. They don't dig out and make caves for themselves to live in. They just find a rock and they hide behind it. That's how they live. They don't waste their energy on doing things and they don't have a whole lot of strength, yet they are protected. And then Solomon uses another illustration. Locusts, right? Grasshoppers. They have no king, yet they advance together in ranks and they can wipe out a whole field of crops. And then he uses the illustration of a lizard. You know, a lizard can be caught with a hand Yet you can find lizards in king's palaces. You can find them in your house, and I find them from time to time in my garage. You can catch them real easy. And even though they're easy to catch, they are found in the most unusual places. So don't despise small things. Paul tells us God's not done with his people, and he uses himself as an example. Paul says God's not done with us, and he uses Elijah as an example. Listen, don't get discouraged. God is going to be with you every step of the way. Let me give you the third one, and we'll give you a couple more tomorrow, okay? Exhibit number three, the Israelites. Romans 11, verses 7 and 8. We learn here that the remnant is mysterious, right? Paul says, what then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. But he says, the elect of them did, but the others were hardened, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear, to this very day. And I want you to join me tomorrow. I'm going to start the broadcast tomorrow sharing with you why sometimes we can work really hard and still miss out. And what causes us to work so hard and yet still miss out? Paul here is driving home the point that the people of Israel, oh, they sought so earnestly to gain God's favor, but yet they missed it, and their hearts became hardened. As a matter of fact, God even gave them over to a a spirit of stupor so that they had eyes that they couldn't see and ears that they could not hear to this very day. You see, sometimes we do work really hard and we still miss out. What causes us? to work so hard and still miss out. Well, let me give you the first one, and then you can join the broadcast tomorrow to get the remaining four. Number one is a heart 
that is hard. In Mark chapter 6, you remember Jesus fed the multitudes with the loaves and the fishes. At the end of this great miracle, where he fed maybe 15 or 20,000 people, Jesus gathers his disciples and he tells them they had not understood about the loaves, but their heart had been hardened. What in the world is Jesus talking about? He's saying there are some people that will follow him just for the loaves and the fishes, just for the blessings that he can give to them. And many people come to Christ and they're thinking, well, this is like my genie in a bottle and, and my wish will be his command and I'm going to follow Christ because he's going to give me health, wealth, and prosperity and power and influence. And, and Jesus says they totally misunderstood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. You see, a heart that is hard will cause me to work really hard and still miss out. Well, please join me tomorrow. And we're going to continue this list as to why we can work so hard and still miss out. Well, thank you for joining me today. If I can pray for you, shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.